We are over in the book of Acts, chapter 13. It's been a little while since we've been here in Acts, but uh, hopefully I haven't forgotten too much. Verse 1, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So the, this whole chapter here is pretty much about Barnabas and Saul, and they bookend the group that are mentioned. This is not all that are, that are there. This is just the ones that are mentioned. It says that there were certain prophets and teachers. Every time we see that word certain, we know that they're, these are the ones that influence the story we're into, that caused the turn of events. Something major is going to happen with these particular people. So there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas is uh, one of those. He's either a prophet or he is a teacher. There is Simeon, who is called Niger. He is from, uh, it's, it's more from, from uh, location, Nigeria, I believe they say he is from, which would cause him to be a person of color. And this is, of course, a Gentile church, so they have a much more of a mixed group of people there. But uh, he, was, he was one of the prominent ones in the group. We don't know all that he did. We just know that he's one of the prominent ones in the group. Lucius of Cyrene, another prominent one in the group. We don't know a whole lot more about him. Uh, Manaean, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, if that's uh, not quite clear to you, what that means is he is not his brother. He is a stepbrother. He is brought up with Herod. So he was in the family with Herod. He was brought up with him, but he is not his brother. Otherwise, he would have been called his brother. <laughs> He was brought up with. So he was in the same house. So the same house produced Herod and one of the prominent ones in the church here in Antioch. That's interesting, isn't it? Out of the same household. So often we want to blame ourselves for the people who come out of our household. And here you got uh, one is Herod and one is Menaean and Saul. So the only ones that we're not given a whole lot of descriptiveness about is Barnabas and Saul because the chapter spends a whole lot of time on these guys, so I guess we figure we don't need that. But these folks are either prophets or they are teachers. So Saul, at this point, is considered a teacher and or a prophet. Barnabas the same, Simeon, Lucius, these are all considered to be either a prophet and or a teacher. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Oh, I wanted to get into this to you. The, the certain prophets and teachers. Teachers minister revelation of the word. Teachers minister revelation of the word. Prophets minister revelation of the spirit. Now, it is the spirit, of course, who brings revelation of the word. But the spirit speaks directly to the prophet revelation. Whereas the teacher gets that revelation from studying the word and seeing the word. That's the difference between those, those two right there. So uh, I, I guess there was a blank in there. Manan is the stepbrother, if you want to put that in there, of Herod, if you didn't get that. Now, they said that as they ministered to the Lord, how do we minister to the Lord? Interesting part here. They says they ministered to the Lord and, and fasted. That means fasting is not ministering to the Lord. If fasting was part of ministering to the Lord, you don't want to have to put it and. Sometimes we think that when we fast, we are doing something for the Lord. We are not. Fasting is for you. So they were ministering to the Lord. Now, how do you minister to the Lord? 
Well, if you are a prophet, you minister to people by prophesying. If you are a teacher, you minister to people by teaching. Are you going to teach God? Are you going to prophesy to God? No. So ministry to the Lord does not involve prophecy or teaching. So when you minister to the Lord, we have to think of what is it that the Lord wants, needs, desires, things of that. And that's going to be ministering to the Lord. It's not fasting. Fasting is for you. So ministry to the Lord has to involve other things. More than likely, it involves praise, worship, things along these lines. It doesn't specifically tell us, but uh, just make that note. How do you minister to the Lord? Well, fasting is not, not one of them. It would seem to indicate that fasting is not ministry. Not ministry to the Lord anyway. So he says, separate unto me. Barnabas and Saul for the work to which... Now, this is the Lord speaking. Now, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Again, God's instructions are very seldom long. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul. He called him Saul. Now, Saul is his... Which name? Saul is his Jewish name. Why is he called Paul? It's his Roman name. Paul is a Roman. He is a Jew, but how did he get his Roman citizenship? By birth. He identifies that at another time. He was born a Roman citizen, but he is a Jew. So he has two different names here. God addresses him by his Jewish name in this particular part. He also addresses Barnabas first. Separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul. And we're going to see throughout the chapter that they're mostly known as Barnabas and Saul until they get to the end of the chapter and they become known as or, or Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Paul does change them midway through when they were Barnabas and Paul for a while, but then they switch and Paul becomes the dominant one in the, in the group and Barnabas not so much. So they do switch. But here at the beginning, God addresses them, of course, correctly because Barnabas is the prominent one in the, in the beginning. Saul is still getting his uh, feet wet, so to speak. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, I passed, my pastor, uh, Bob Yenyon, did a wonderful series uh, on, on this. On, it's called Separation, uh, Calling and Separation. That there's a difference in ministry between when you are called and when you are separated. Some people think that as soon as they are called, they are separated. And that is not the case. You are called first, then you prepare, and then at some point you are separated. Paul was called on the road to Damascus. That's when the calling came. He then went away and prepared. And now the Word of God comes out and says, now separate Barnabas and Saul. Not separate from the other people, but separate them to the ministry that I have called them. And the ministry that he was called, called to was a ministry to the Gentiles. And that's what he will be, be taking on. So separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then it says, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, if God's already told you what to do, why are you fasting and praying? Wouldn't that make sense? Don't you usually fast and pray to find out what God wants you to do? But if he's already told you what to do, why are you fasting and praying? You've got to have a reason to go out there and, and fast and pray. 
Sometimes people just fast and pray for whatever reason that they have. There needs to be a reason. Well, this is the book of Acts. How many people have been separated in the ministry? Nobody that we know of. God hasn't instructed anybody to be separated in the ministry. So if you get the instruction from God, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, what would you fast and pray about? <laughs> what is separation? What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to separate them to get involved in the work, to get involved in the ministry? What is our role supposed to be? They got probably a lot of questions here. What do we do as those who separate? What do they do as people who go and be separated to the, to the ministry? What are they supposed to do? So they probably want some more instructions on uh, what God has, has given. So if they're fasting and praying, they're more fasting and praying in this line because they already have the instructions of what to do. But they may not be clear exactly how to do that. So if they sought after God as to how to do that, certainly you could see that they would, would need to do so. But don't take from this that every time that someone is being separated into, into ministry, that fasting and prayer must follow. That's not necessarily what this is teaching. I, don't, I just don't think they knew exactly what to do. How do we separate? Would you know at this point? How do you separate somebody from ministry? What are you supposed to do? What kind of a role would we play? What kind of role do they play? What kind of a thing do we have to say? Because uh, God told them to separate them. So there's something that they had to do. Not just acknowledge it. There's something they had to do. So they prayed and found out what it was. So anyway, they prayed and fasted and found out what they were supposed to do. They laid hands on them. That's probably one of the things God said to do. Lay hands on them. They got teachers and they got prophets around there. So they got access to, to find out what God wants them to do. And so as they're... Um, Fasting and praying, God probably speaks through one of the prophets or one of the teachers gets up and teaches something from the scripture, what they're supposed to do. They laid hands on them and they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had joined as their, oh, they also had John as their assistant. This is John Mark who would eventually leave them. So they brought him along to help out. You know, why, why is he there? He's there to set up the chairs, maybe set up the tents, uh, help the people when they're coming in, help the people when they're going out. He's to, he's to do the stuff that uh, Paul and Barnabas won't have to do so they can focus in on the ministry that they were separated to do. So they got John there as their, their assistant. He's coming on in. And John may have ministry aspirations too. God may be training him up for a ministry, but he needs to do some of these things here. Paul, he was out. We don't know what all kind of assistant he was doing, but he wasn't out there doing his own ministry. He was out there doing something else. And God sent Barnabas out there. He found him, brought him over to the church of Antioch, and eventually he gets to the point where he is separated to it. So they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Wonder why they went to the synagogue of the Jews. Who's he called to? The Gentiles. He's called to the Gentiles. He's going to the Jews. Is that a mistake? We'll find out as we go along here. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, to the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. So what happened at Salamis? They went into the synagogue and they preached to the Jews. Anything happen? Not that we know, just that John was their assistant. He helped them set up. And then now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, so they left Salamis and they went over to Paphos, no real event is talked about. doesn't mean they were in the wrong place. 
just means nothing of note that needed to be in the Scripture happened. And they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Well, that's quite a descriptive part here for him. A certain sorcerer. Now, there's that word again. Whenever we see that certain word, we're talking about this is somebody who caused, who brought about some things. Certain sorcerer, sorcerer. He's called a false prophet and a Jew. Hmm. That's quite a combination. We know that uh, Paul's ministry, he'll find a lot of Jews that are false prophets, as well as ones that are very genuine. His name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul. Notice who he called for. Barnabas and Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. So this man was curious. He's an intelligent man. He hears some of the things that are being preached by these guys. And so he calls for them to come and to have an audience. Now, you have an, you have an invitation from one of the rulers to come in and have an audience to teach them the Word of God. They're interested in the Word of God. You would go? Mm-hmm. Sure. He's a, a ruler in this city where there are Gentiles, and that's who he's called to. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So this is a false prophet. He is a Jew. And so he probably comes along. He doesn't say that he's a... It calls him a false prophet. So there has to be something about him that he's trying to pass off as being genuine. But he's false. He's not a true prophet. He's a false one. But he has to have something that looks like he's genuine. If you have a false $100 bill, it has to be made to look like a real one. If you came in with Monopoly, that's not a false one. That's just play. That's just somebody messing around. But So he has to have the appearance of a real prophet. But the Word of God says he's a false prophet. Understand, false prophets don't always jump out at you. They sometimes look like the real thing. And you've got to know the Scripture you got to listen to the Holy Spirit. He will help you. Paul immediately knows this guy's wrong. This guy's not right. So he, uh, he comes against that. But the sorcerer withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. That's the goal. The goal was to turn these guys away from faith in the name of Jesus. You can have religion but not faith in the name of Jesus. This is not going to work. This is not going to be helpful for their cause. So he's, uh, he's trying to get the proconsul to not go that direction. So he's doing whatever it is that he does that is false to try and stand against Paul. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. Now, if your ministry was to the Gentile, which name would you pick? Saul's a Jewish name. Paul's a Roman name. Paul. If you're going to minister to the Gentiles, your best thing is a Gentile name. So that's uh, probably why Paul goes more with that than he does with Saul. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. You can just kind of feel that look that he's probably given right there. And said, O full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? perverting the straight ways of the Lord. See, he's, it's, a, it's a false prophet. It's not somebody who's coming in with, with idols and other things like that. He's coming in and he's tainting what is true. You're taking the straight ways and you are perverting them. 
That's what he's saying about, about this guy. But you son of the devil. <laughs> that is something else. Huh? These are big words, and you better be ready to back them up. Because this guy has shown signs and wonders to get the pro-council to believe. He's called a false prophet. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seen for a time. Hmm. Who did this happen to? It happened to Paul. He was against the things of God. He was perverting the, the, the ways of God. He was serving God, but he was coming at it in a wrong, wrong way. And he had blindness. And he said, to, he didn't say the same thing that happened to me is going to happen to you. He just said, you're going to be blind for a time. And he was. And immediately a dark mist fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. <clears throat> well, you better know you heard from God on that one, huh? <laughs> and, uh, and Paul did. Paul knew this is, this is God and he spoke this out. Now, it's going to have an impact on people that are around you. Now, you pronounce something like this on a, on a person, and you say they're going to be blind, and they go blind. That is going to have an impact, and it did have a, a good impact on those that were around them. Where do we leave off at? Then the prone consul believed when he saw what had been done. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done. Very often, we want people to believe things we're not willing to do, to do things. We have to be willing to step out and to do the things that God is saying for us to do. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Many times we think that they're astonished at the signs, but he was astonished at the teaching. He was an intelligent man, told us before. <clears throat> Now, when Paul and his party set sail for, for Paph, from Paphos, they came to Perga. So that's the end of the ministry over there in, in, the, in that place. And come over here to get in the boat. And they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. So I, I don't... I don't quite get this about John, but John got on the boat and he went with them up to here. And then, I don't know, did they get off and he stayed on the boat? Did they all get off the boat and then something happened in, you know, you know these uh, false prophets, these harsh words by Paul, the people going blind? I, I don't know what it was, but for some reason, it was too much for John and he went home and he went to Jerusalem. And who's in Jerusalem? His mother. His mother. Went home to mama. <laughs> And so uh, he's not very happy about that. So the first island they go to, uh, John's there to help them set up and take down and do all the different things, you know, set up the sound equipment, take down the sound equipment, run the wires, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and now they come to the next one and he's not there. So guess who's doing it? Well, I guess uh, Barnabas and Saul are setting up their own meetings unless they had some other people to come along and help. But we're not mentioned about anybody else that came along to help. So if it is Barnabas and Saul, every time they get to a meeting and they're setting up on themselves, they're, Paul's thinking, John should be doing this. <laughs> John should be here doing this. John's not here. He went home. And he's probably uh, fuming on that. Now, there seems to be a relationship. Uh, we think Barnabas is the uncle of John Mark, which is why he was a little more uh, sensitive to him and why he wanted to uh, give him another chance. But Paul didn't have that kind of a relationship with him wasn't related in any way, and said, nope, he abandoned us at a bad time, and we're not bringing that along. And uh, I tell you, if I was going to side with anybody, I would side with Paul. 
I think Paul was more right than Barnabas was. Barnabas took him along not necessarily because God said so. Barnabas took him along probably because he had a soft spot for him. Paul understood this is big-time stuff. John needs to get his feet wet someplace else. And he's right. He's right. In my book, he's right. If you want to be on the front lines of the ministry, you better not be running home to Mama. Because Paul knows... We're going to be, you think that was bad? You think that I know what I'm going to be suffering for the Lord, and God has told me what I'm going to be suffering, and that sent you home? He's got to be thinking, it's going to be getting a whole lot worse in here before it gets any better. And, and we cannot bring him, if, if that sent him home before, because there's not a whole lot that happened over there, there was the, <laughs> it, it's going to get worse here now. And what happened before was really pretty light. Not much going on there at all. So I, w- I would be with Paul. If I was going to be on any side, I'd say, Paul, you were right. Barnabas was wrong on this. And I understand why he split up o- over the issue. A whole lot better now, the more I think about it. I understand why Paul split up over this. Because this was a critical role. We need somebody to get out there and to do these things as it was. He's probably saying, Barnabas, we were out setting up the chairs. We were out setting up the tent. When we got done ministering everybody, who was taking the chairs down? Who was taking the tent down? Who was doing all this stuff? We were. Were we getting ourselves ready for the next meeting? No. Did it have an impact on the meetings? Paul's probably saying, yes. Do we want to do that again? He's saying, I'm saying no. And Barnabas says, yeah, but you know, we... (laughs) He's, he's soft in this, and, and so Paul just broke down and says, look, if you want them, take them. Now, at this point, Paul does not need Barnabas as much as Barnabas needs Paul. And I know people have talked about this and said that uh, uh, a great team was broken up. Well, a great team was broken up. But you know what? Another great team was made. It's, it, I know not too many people are hockey fans here, but if you're a hockey fan... Yeah, a hockey team has four lines, four configurations of defensemen and four configurations of offensive. There's there's a center and two uh, wings on a, on the offense, and there's uh, two defensemen. They're pairings, and they have four pairings of of each one. And sometimes you know you get a line in there, and they're just doing great stuff, and then all of a sudden they get cold. You know what you do with it? Yeah, break it up. And you put another guy from the second line, the third line, and you put him up there on the first line to try and get the other two guys jump-started and going. And sometimes that works wonders. Sometimes it doesn't. But uh, you, you just keep on going with the same thing isn't necessarily the, the thing to do. Paul got some, good, some other good people. Silas was a great guy to bring alongside. Um, I, I almost think that Silas, from the Word of God, was more, it had it more of an impact on the missionary journeys than Barnabas did. We're not told everything that Barnabas did. We're not told everything that Silas did. But the little bit that we do know shows us that Silas, he was, he was a good guy to be bringing along on this thing. There's nothing wrong with that. He picks up Timothy. He picks up Titus. He brings up some, uh, some other folks. These are good people. And they went out and did things on their own. Uh, Paul found some good folks. So I'm not faulting Paul for splitting up with Barnabas. Because um, the people that you bring along are, are important. And Paul knew that. And John left them and left them on this, after this first island. And how much bad happened on the first island? The first group they preached to and then left. Anybody get upset? The second group they preached to and they left. Anybody get upset? Uh, Bar Jesus was out there making a mess of things. And what happened to him? He went blind. He went blind. <laughs> Did they have any trouble really? 
<laughs> when you think of the things that are coming, Paul stoned, left for dead, beaten and thrown into prison, riots. <laughs> Can you see why? If you were Paul, you're not bringing John Mark along. I, I totally understand Paul's viewpoint on this. And if I ever did not, I apologize, Paul. Well, we get up to 13. Now, when Paul and his party had set sail for Paphos, they came to Perga at Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch. Anything happen at Perga? Perga? Not, nothing, nothing to note. As best I can tell, John left because it was too much work. That's the best I can tell. I mean, he goes home to mom. I, I, as best I can tell, he just he, he, it's it's too much work. Because there's there's no real hardship that he's that they're coming against. It's going to get hard. It's about to get hard. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading of the law of the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, "Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on." So they went through the normal stuff, you know, the reading of the law, the reading of the prophets. And then afterwards they said, well, look, if you guys, you guys are here, you're on special assignment. If you've got something to share, go ahead and share it. So Paul stood up, motioned with his hand, said, men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dealt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now, for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. <laughs> That's about how it was, too, wasn't it? And when he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. Did you know that there were seven nations that he destroyed in the land of Canaan? Of all the different uh, groups that were there, made up seven nations. He distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet and afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised him up. He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finished his course, he said, What do you think I, who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem, and their rulers, because I did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets who are read after Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. And when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. This is not Paul. For we declare to you glad tidings, the promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. And it is also written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. 
He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says, also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through, through this man is, is preached to you the forgiveness of, of sins. Through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. So he does all that to lay the foundation that Jesus is born of David, king of the Jews, to take this place, and through him is the forgiveness of sins. He skipped a lot of the parts in there, but he's just trying to get to this, this main part. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He is speaking to who? Jews. That's why he's speaking to them in this language. He's going through the Jewish history. Beware, therefore, lest when he has spoken and the prophets come up, lest what has been spoken and the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So it's a short message, at least as much as we're given. It doesn't take all that long to, and usually Paul's a lot more longer winded. Or at least he develops that. But look at verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, who was in the synagogue? The Jews. The Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So it's the Jews that are in the synagogue. So the Gentiles are outside. I wonder if they can hear. I wonder if they waited until the Jews came out and there was some discussion. Um, um, how, however it was, when they came out, they got some word of what was going on. So they go over to Paul and they say, Paul, will you next Sabbath preach to us? <clears throat> the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. What's amazing is the words that we just read to us, second nature. We didn't even think much about it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's one just like that. But these folks didn't hear it. So they begged, Gentiles, please, please, next step, can we be there? Can we be in the meeting? Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes, those who converted, followed Paul and Barnabas. Ah, the change. Well, who gave the message? Paul did. Don't know who gave the message in the uh, previous island, but on this one, Paul comes in here and gives the message. Paul and Barnabas, who, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So the Jews and the uh, prominent people who uh, converted over, they follow Paul and Barnabas, asking them questions, talking with them more. For the whole week, they are talking with them more. And through the course of this, they continued to persuade them and to stay in the grace of God. What had they been in? The law. And Paul's preaching the grace. They had been in the law. This is a change. And it says, Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So they got their start in it here when Paul was teaching this to them. And he got them to continue. Which means you are leaving the law to go in the way of Grace. Salvation is not of the law. Salvation is grace through the name of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. 
So basically, it's this way. Church is over. The Jews leave. The Gentiles beg to hear what else is going on. And then on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Where are they coming together at? In the synagogue. How many does the synagogue hold? Not the whole city. <laughs> it's not going to hold the whole city. <laughs> Almost the whole city comes out to hear. Now, this synagogue had been here. There have been people who had spoken in the synagogue up until this point, and the whole city had ignored it. It was the, the one before, when Paul first gets there, who's in the synagogue? The Jews. So more than likely the weeks before, it's the Jews. Where are the Gentiles? Somewhere else in the city. Not in there. Now what happens in one week? The whole city wants in the synagogue. Now, now put this in your own, your own time. I mean, we think about it in here. We have, uh, we have so many chairs. Most people have a certain area that they've been sitting in. And if the whole city came out here, what would happen to your chair? <laughs> somebody else would, somebody else might be in your chair. And there may not be another place for you to sit. And you, and you may be thinking, wait a minute, I've been coming to this synagogue. <laughs> and and they're letting Joe so-and-so, he's never been in church before. And they give him my chair. <laughs> and so there's some stuff that's, that's going on here. We're having some problems. We come on in. We know the synagogue starts at 9 a.m. or something like that. You get over here at 8.45 and the place is full. And it's coming on out the seams. There's people all over the place. Hey, wait a minute. There's Gentiles in there. This is our building. This is our, and it starts to stir some stuff up. So you were curious about what Paul was teaching before. You liked what Paul was teaching before, but now it has an impact in that the entire world is coming into your synagogue. So it was okay when Paul brought the message and it's for us. <laughs> but now everybody's getting in on it. And, um, we didn't really like that quite, quite so much. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Not to see signs and wonders. To hear the word of God. And we looked at the message. There's nothing deep, great involved in that message. Just to hear the word of God. Almost the whole city. Where else in the Bible do we ever find that almost the whole city came out? You ever see that in the ministry of Jesus? She brought out all the whole. She did bring out almost the whole city there, didn't she? Brought all, all the men anyway. <laughs> brought all the men of them. Anyway. God, hardly ever in the Bible do we hear of an entire city, almost an entire city coming out to hear. Sometimes you have the entire city coming out to pick on, or a bunch of people coming out to pick on, but not the entire city coming out to hear. This is what. Now, Paul's got to be thinking, at this point in the ministry, Paul's got to be pondering the prophecy. I will show him how many things he must suffer. He's got to be thinking, this isn't bad. (laughs) This is okay. I can handle this. I can handle this. I mean, John Mark couldn't. He left on, he went on home. But if this were talking about bar Jesus, you know, uh, if you, this is all right. I can handle this. I wonder if that was going through his mind at all. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out about that. But when the Jews saw the multitudes that were, they were filled with envy. They were happy about this message a week ago. 
they were happy about this message in the in-between days. They were following Paul, asking him questions. But now we got to this point, and it's nothing that the message has, the message hasn't changed. They're not upset at the message. They're upset at the multitudes. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. How come they never came out when I was teaching? Right? How come they never wanted to get in here before? Why is it they want to get in here now? This guy Paul, we don't know where he comes from, walks on into our city, has some nice things to say, and all of a sudden the whole city wants to hear him. And they are filled with envy. Envy is bad. Don't let envy get in. That's why we pinpoint it when the media and politicians and such want to get you envious of other groups of people. Don't do it. Understand, we've just, we went from a city excited about the Word of God to a city of groups. We got the Jews, we got the Gentiles. And the Jews are mad because the Gentiles are coming to get this. When the Jews saw the multitudes, again, they were happy with this up until then. But now they saw the multitudes and they were filled with envy. What should they be filled with? Joy, peace, long-suffering, the Spirit, love. That's what they should be filled with. What happens when you get filled up with envy? That other stuff kind of goes away, doesn't it? And contradicting and blaspheming. Can you imagine that? Jews getting into blasphemy. Contradicting and blaspheming, they oppose the things spoken by Paul. These are the same people who agreed with it one week ago. Five days ago, four days ago, walking around with him, talking about it, asking questions. They still were in agreement with it. Now, only thing that has changed is they saw the multitudes coming. That's it. Nothing else changed. Filled with envy. And now they're contradicting and blaspheming. They oppose the things spoken by Paul. I saw this on Facebook. I don't know if if you're not uh, friends with certain people that I am. You wouldn't have seen this. But I thought it was real, real good and fitting for this. Never forget there are three types of people in your life. Those who helped you in your difficult time. Those who left you in your difficult time. And those who caused your difficult time. (laughs) I thought that's pretty good. Paul certainly has those folks here. He has those that left him in a difficult time. He has those who helped him in the difficult time. And he's got those who have caused the difficult time right here. These, uh, These groups are causing a difficult time. Verse 46, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, Now this is both of them. Don't know who said what. They took turns saying different parts of it. We don't know, but they both grew bold and said, It was necessary that the Word of God should be spoken to you first. It was necessary that the Word of God should be spoken to you first. First, why was it necessary? Well, who's he called to? He's called to the Gentiles. But he said it was necessary that the Word of God should be spoken to you first. Paul saw it necessary that when he came into the city to first off address God's people. When God's people rejected it, he then went on to the group that he was called to. So he knew not to take it personally when God's people rejected the message that he had because he was not called to them to begin with and God says they're not going to accept it. 
So they grew bold and said it was necessary. We're supposed to be coming. This is supposed to be a big day. The whole group, whole city is coming around. We're going to hear the word of God. And instead, Paul says it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. I wonder how many Christians today realize that some of the things they say, some of the things they do, some of the things that they blaspheme or fight against has caused them to judge themselves unworthy to receive things that they would have seen, received otherwise. We've got to be careful with some of that. We can judge ourselves unworthy. I can pass judgment on myself that I am unworthy to receive that because of the words out of my mouth. And that's what Paul's telling them here. You guys have judged yourself unworthy of everlasting life. Not just the blessing of God. You have judged yourself unworthy of everlasting life. Well, again, what kind of things did they say? Blasphemed. They blasphemed and they contradicted. So Paul is preaching grace. They have to be preaching law. They were okay with staying in the area of grace before, but now they saw this. They envied. You judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. This is the command that, God, that Paul received, Paul and Barnabas, and may have been part of that separation that they, they had gone. Again, who was in the group? Prophets and teachers. So there are some people up there who would have had prophecies maybe. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. But he knew it was important first off to go to the Jews. He knew to expect that they would reject it. And he was ready as soon as they did. He didn't take it personally. It was necessary, but since you reject it, we're moving on to the Gentiles. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. If you're a Gentile, some of you, I mean, if, if you think about it, if you were the Gentiles, you could get offended at some of this. Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> you got to go to them first and after they reject it, then we can have it. But they have to reject it first, then we can have it. <laughs> you're not going to come to us until after the Jews but they didn't, they didn't focus on that. They said, glory to God, we got it. All right, come on. <laughs> That's the better way to be. And they were okay with that. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified. What would happen if they would have been sad? What would have happened if they would have, would have been mad? They wouldn't have gotten it at all. And glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. That means as many as God picked, I like you, I like you, I like you, I like you. No, that's not what God does. But the people that would receive it, those are the ones. God knows for, because God is in touch with all time. He's in touch with the future as much as He is in touch with the past because God exists in all times. We only exist in one time, the now, but God exists in all of them. And the, Lord, the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews 
stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. We don't know exactly what they did to expel them. But here's where the tough time comes. Paul's probably thinking, John Mark, if you were here now, it would have been pretty tough because now the tough part has... It's been pretty easy up until now. And John left. That's why Paul is upset with him. You left then? Do you know what it's going to be like now? And now we've, we've created enemies. As soon as we come in there, it's Paul. Oh, you know, they just get angry. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women. Understand this. When people fall away from the truth, they are not content to just let others hear what they want to hear. People who are against the truth stir up everything they can to stop the truth from going on, to stop people from hearing the truth, to put down the people who proclaim the truth. And it's the same way today. We see the exact same thing. The advice that was given in the book of Acts, folks, if this is of God, let it alone. If it's of God, it's going to succeed. If it's not, it's going to fail. But don't you be found fighting God. That's not the case that we have anymore. The people that are loudly coming against the things they don't like, you know they are of darkness. You don't have to wonder. They are of darkness. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent moment. Chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them. How many people accepted the word of God? whole bunch of them. But they stirred up some. Now, they probably stirred up some that had accepted it and turned them against it. But there's still a bunch of them in there that accepted and they were excited about the word. But still, Paul goes out there and what's he do? Shakes off the dust from their feet. What did God tell the, the, the disciples to do? If they don't receive your word, shake off the dust as a sign against them and move on. To this day, folks, we have a hard time shaking the dust off from people. We keep going after them. Paul just shakes off the dust and he goes on. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with fear and anxiety. With envy and jealousy. No. Joy and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they didn't focus on the things that the people said. They didn't focus on the rejection. They didn't focus on the persecution. They focused on what God had called them to do. And they were glad to do it. But Paul's words brought joy to the Gentiles and bitterness to the Jews. It's the same words. It's exactly the same words that he spoke. There was nothing different. But for one group, it brings joy. And the other group, it brings bitterness, anger, envy. So they shake off the dust from their feet against them. And I put this in your outline for you. You cannot judge your words by the response of people. You cannot judge your words by the response of people, whether good or bad. Just because everybody tells you you did a good job does not mean you did. And just because everybody tells you that you did a bad job does not mean that you did. You have got to learn how to hear from God whether you did a good job or whether you did a bad job. you got to hear from God whether you hit or whether you missed. 
Whether you swung and made a connection or whether you swung and struck out, don't listen to the people because people are fickle. And who is with you today, by the next Sabbath, they are against you. Simply because of something totally out of your control. They saw the multitudes. Wasn't that a good thing? Multitudes are coming to Jesus. This is a good thing. But they got filled with envy. You cannot judge your words by the response of people, whether good or bad. Learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit, even on this. You got to listen to that voice of the Spirit. You may, you may feel like you know, everybody you may minister, do something, and everybody's saying, "Oh, that was so good! Oh, that was so good! Oh, that was wonderful!" And down in your spirit, you say, "You missed it. You didn't do what I told you to do." Who should you listen to? And of course, you could also have people saying, "Oh, that was awful! Oh, I didn't, didn't get anything out of that at all." And the Spirit of God, you know, you connected the whole way. You've got to learn how to listen to that. This is what Paul is going to be doing. He's going to learn how to listen to what the Spirit of God says, so much so that he does not judge the results by the number of people that come, by the number of people that are happy. He doesn't do any of that at all. Not every place that Paul goes to does he have a church at that he can write a letter to. There's not success in every place. And some of the places when he left, there was not enough for a church, but it grew. Philippi was one of those. Not enough for a church by the time he left. But he laid the groundwork and the church grew and he was able to write to it. Don't judge what you do, what you say, by the results in people. Judge them in the results of what your spirit tells you to do. Listen to, listen to him. He'll help you out. You do what the Spirit of God says to do. Some people are going to reject it. You do what the Spirit of God says to do. Some people are going to accept it. It's all right. You just learn to feed off of what the Spirit of God has to say. Help you out in the, in the long run. Help us all out. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us as we minister to people that are around us, as we speak the words that you give us to speak. We need to learn not to judge those words by the response of those that are around, but to listen to the voice of the Spirit. Did we say what we wanted us to say? Even Paul, when he preached this message that we have in this chapter, it's nothing great or astounding, deep, but he said what you needed to say, and the response was tremendous. Father, we don't want to be saying things that show how great we are, but we want to be saying the things that you tell us to say. Amen. By doing so, we can see the results that you want us to see. We thank you for the help that you give us in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.